Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Encuentro. Today is Thursday in the octave of Christmas. Let's begin with a prayer of St. Francis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, make me a means of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Divine Master, grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled, but to console. Not so much to be understood, but to understand. Not so much to be loved, but to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in forgiving that we are forgiven. And it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Well, today is Thursday. I was not able to do a podcast episode yesterday because you know, I'm trying to preserve my voice. My throat still hurts, but mercifully, it's a little better today. Um, uh, and then uh, yesterday's reading, of course, connects with the reading of today. As a matter of fact, as I was looking at the, the, the gospel reading for yesterday, it was about Simeon. You know, and at the end of the gospel passage... I was thinking to myself, hey, what, what, what happened? You know, Simeon always goes with another character in, in, in the New Testament, you know, another elderly person. And, of course, I wasn't thinking. But at lunch, I was talking to the bishop, and I said, hey, bishop, you know, whatever, whatever happened to Anna, you know, Simeon's partner in the gospel? And he said, oh, no, 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 that's for tomorrow. And, and true enough, when I looked at the, the gospel passage, the gospel reading for Thursday, there she was, Anna, the prophetess. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to combine the, the two uh, gospel readings of Wednesday and Thursday because, you know, they are, it's a story of uh, Simeon and, and Anna who had been waiting for the Messiah in the temple. Uh, that reading is from uh, Luke, St. Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. And the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. A light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was 
of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and as a widow till she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus, was the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to Israel. Simeon was an elderly person who stayed in the temple area in Jerusalem, waiting for the day when he would set eyes on the long-awaited Savior. And Anna, the prophetess, was pretty much the same. She was also in the temple, awaiting the revelation of the Messiah. They represented, both of them, the pious and devout Jews who, who never stopped believing that God's promise to restore Israel would one day be fulfilled. You know, there was no Jewish person who did not regard uh, his own nation as the chosen people. That's who they are. But they saw quite clearly that by human means, uh, their nation could never attain to the supreme world greatness which they believed uh, their destiny involved. Uh, by far, the greater number of them believed that because they were the chosen people, they were bound someday to become masters of the world, uh, the lords of all the nations. You know, that God would intervene and, and, and create something magnificent and grand in order to bring this about. Uh, to bring in that day, you know, that day when Israel would, would be restored and, 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 and be made this, this great nation above all the nations, uh, some believed that some great celestial champion okay, would descend upon the earth. Okay? Uh, some believed that there would arise another king in David's line and that all of the old glories of David and Solomon and, you know, uh, uh, the greatness of Israel uh, would, would be revived. Some believe that, that God himself would break directly directly into, into history by, by supernatural means. And many had awaited this, this magnificent, this stupendous, this amazing day when God would, in all his glory, you know, intervene in order to restore Israel you know, to its glory as a kingdom. In contrast to all that, there were some, you know, a few people, sometimes they were called the, the quiet in the land, uh, who thought differently. They had no dreams of tremendous power, you know, conquest, and even violence. Uh, they, they had no images of armies with banners and, you know, and, and, and soldiers. Uh, instead, yeah, these individuals believed in a, in a life of constant prayer and profound watchfulness uh, for the time, the day, and the hour when, when God, uh, rather than in, in, a, in a magnificent flash, would reveal himself 
And something so simple, so quiet. And all their lives, these men and women waited quietly and, and patiently for this moment. Simeon and Anna, unlike many at that time who had transformed God's promise of a savior into this idea of a powerful political ruler and conqueror, you know, who would, would smite Israel's enemies and establish Israel as an earthly kingdom. These individuals, like Simeon and Anna, held on to the belief that the Messiah was going to be a spiritual leader, not a temporal one, and a leader who would save Israel from its sins, not a ruler who would destroy Israel's enemies and restore its fortunes. Now, this was probably the reason why these two elderly persons, of all those living in Israel at that time, they were the only ones who were truly blessed by God, not only to see the Messiah in the person of a helpless infant that was born to poor parents, but to actually recognize him. You know, it, it's, it isn't hard to understand why God's work and actions can often be understood to mean the grand, the magnificent, and the spectacular. Isn't he God, after all? The Almighty, the creator of all things, the beginning and the end, the one who was, who is, and who is to come? I mean, superlatives of language don't seem to be enough when you're trying to describe the Almighty. So, why wouldn't his actions be equally grand? Why wouldn't his interventions be equally stupendous, earth-shaking, world-changing? Why shouldn't they leave us totally, utterly, and absolutely awed? You know, why shouldn't God's actions leave us perhaps even a bit terrified because they're just so magnificent? You know, there's this philosopher, his name is Rudolf Otto, and he had a phrase that I, I like using in my philosophy classes to describe the grandeur, if you will, of God. Otto coined this phrase in Latin, the, the mysterium tremendum et fascinans. Mysterium tremendum et fascinans. The tremendous and utterly fascinating mystery. Okay? That is God. He dwells in unapproachable, blinding light. He's so utterly holy, so completely different from us, so totally inaccessible that the superlatives of human language will never suffice. Okay? That God is this being who dwells in absolute and total mystery. And there is about him this tremendous mystique that captivates us. You know? But you see, that's precisely the point. God, utterly tremendous and fascinating, God who dwells in unapproachable light, chose, willed, and decided to reveal himself instead in the simple, the ordinary, the plain, the accessible, the humble, the lowly, the poor, 
the powerless, the child. Often, our ideas about God and His majesty are really mere projections of what we believe power and majesty should be like. And we think of God in terms of grand scales that are human scales, that are our measures and, you know, our ways of gauging and understanding what majesty and power ought to be. You know what? Perhaps he is, because he is God. But that is not how he revealed himself in his one and only Son. That is what we often forget. Yes, God is the grand. Yes, God is the tremendous. Yes, God is the inaccessible and and the utterly holy. But that is not how he revealed himself in Jesus. Absolutely not. He revealed himself in the plain, the simple, the ordinary, the weak, the child. You know, this is something that I believe many do not understand, for instance, in what Pope Francis has been teaching over and over again since he became Pope. And what the Second Vatican Council has sought to teach Catholics. You know, we who live in a world and in an age that is so often enamored and attracted and drawn to the grand, the absolutely stupendous, you know, with something that has the same terrifying feel as a mushroom cloud. But God is not there. That is not how he revealed himself. God is in the simple, in the plain, in the ordinary. There's an Old Testament prophet who was waiting for God to reveal himself. And they're beautiful lines. He says, There was an earthquake, and I thought God was in the earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire, and I was expecting God to be in the fire, but God was not in the fire. And then there was a gentle breeze, a soft, gentle breeze, and God was in it. God chose, he chose, he willed to reveal himself in the simple, in the plain, and in the ordinary. Yes, he is in the magnificent as well, but that is not how he chose to reveal himself, especially not in Jesus, the one and only revelation of the Father who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, we sometimes don't get it. Actually, we often don't get it. We prefer the spectacular. But Jesus said no to the spectacular, remember? In the desert, at the end of his 40 days, he said no to the spectacular, the grand, the stupendous. He said no to it three times. The grand, the magnificent, the stupendous, they do belong to God. But when these are filtered through the limitations of the human mind, 
they become easy tools for the adversary, for the devil, who knows very well our misguided aspirations and our easily twisted ambitions. I'd like to repeat that. The grand and the stupendous do belong to God. But when these are filtered through the limitations of the human mind, they become an easy tool for the devil who knows very well our misguided aspirations and our easily twisted ambitions. God's glory is corrupted into man's pride when this is seen through the lens of man's limited heart and mind. I'd like to repeat that as well. God's glory is corrupted into man's pride when seen through the lens of man's limited heart and mind. To Simeon and Anna, the quiet of the land, simple folk who knew to find the God who chose to reveal himself in the plain and the simple. To them was revealed God's one and only Son. And they recognized him with no angels to tell them, with no star to guide them, just the Holy Spirit, and nothing but the simple prayer and desire that they had in their hearts. You know, there's a line in one of the Psalms that I've always loved, and I pray it constantly. Show me your face. Show me your face, Lord. Show me your face. And you know where that face has often been shown to me? In the students and seminarians have taught. In the nice people at the parishes where I sometimes have the opportunity to help out. In my colleagues and co-teachers. In brother priests that I know. In the, peer, in, in the, the poor people that I meet and sometimes ask for my help. In friends in loved ones, in acquaintances, and the ordinary occurrences of daily life. If we seek God only in the grand, we will never really find Him. If we seek Him in the simple, the plain, the ordinary, but especially in the poor and sorrowing where we least expect to find Him, we may yet be surprised we may yet, like Simeon and Anna, suddenly recognize his face. And like Simeon, we may yet be able to say, my own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. Now, Lord, I may rest. Now you can let me go in peace because I have found you I have found you who have always been right there in front of me.